welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host, Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influence them. Hey everybody, it's Mary Barbara Hanna. Welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. You might recognize this suddenly famous face on the screen with me. And if you're listening, you're on iTunes and listening, hop on over to bookshelfshelfies.com or Facebook and take a look at this character. She is more energetic than I am, which is almost impossible. But she got on the screen. It's eight o'clock in the morning. She got on the screen and she was like, hi. So uh, right away, I didn't even need caffeine. I had her energy coming through the screen. This beautiful person is Jen Ellis. Hi, Jen. Hi, Mary Barbara. Hi, Jen Ellis. Um, she may, the name may sound familiar. And if I was uh, even remotely capable, I would pop up one of the millions of memes that have come from her famous mittens. That's right. This is the woman that made the mittens that Bernie wore. Kind of like when it sounds like the this is the thing that did the thing that did the thing. Uh, but yeah, she made the mittens that Bernie Sanders wore to Joe Biden's inauguration. How lucky am I to have met her so quickly? And she immediately said yes to being on my podcast. So I thank you, Jen, so much. It's just a, a real treat to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm yeah. really surprised that so many people are interested in talking to me. Well, I think there's, um, you know, maybe it's that six degrees of separation or the seven degrees or whatever the degrees are of separation. But I think it's the simple act. And um, we'll get into some of the interviews that you did and your philosophy about generosity. But I think it was just the simpleness of where those mittens came from, how they were made. And as I learned through reading a little bit about your work, Bernie actually got these mittens back in 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's had them for a while. I, I got to hand it to him because usually I lose things like mittens exactly. in that period of time. That but really he, fascinated me. He has not lost them. <laughs> I've offered to like upgrade them and maybe like they, they seem to be coming unstitched a little bit and I've offered to fix them up, but he's like, nope, we're good. Yeah, they're good. So I think that was the first thing that caught my eye when I was reading about this and doing a little bit more research was it wasn't like he just bought these mittens in November and wore them in January. He actually bought them or he didn't even buy them. They were a gift. And you can tell us that story in a minute, but that he had them and he's like going to an inauguration. It's going to be cold. Oh, I'm going to need some good mittens. Oh, I got these mittens. I'll take those with me. So let's, uh, if you don't mind, because I'm sure you've told the story, rehash the story a million times, but just for our audience, Tell us how he got those mittens. So my daughter, who you saw on the screen just a moment ago, was going to preschool at Essex Hollow Play School, which is in my town of Essex Junction, Vermont. And his daughter-in-law, so Bernie's daughter-in-law, is the owner of that preschool. And she's also someone I went to college with. You know, oh, it is funny. a small world. <laughs> So we went to the University of Vermont together. We knew each other. And then I sent my daughter to her preschool. And, um, and I didn't actually know at the time that she was Bernie Sanders' daughter-in-law. I'm a huge Bernie Sanders fan. And so when the holidays came around, I was making mittens. Um, here's a pair. Mittens out of old wool sweaters. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, I love those. Yeah. I was making them for my daughter's preschool teachers. And... I made an extra pair for Bernie Sanders. He had just lost the um, Democratic presidential wow. nomination. And, um, and I didn't think he was going to run again. And it made me really sad. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know, I bet he's done. And I have voted for him every opportunity I've had since I was 18, you know, Amazing. since I registered to vote in the state of Vermont. Um, so I was sad. And I made my pair of mittens just to, just as a shout out, you know, like, Hey, I really, really support you. And I always have. And as a public school teacher, I, I can see how the, the policies that you're advocating for help the children who I love. Mm. And, and that connection has never been lost on me. And so that's how I gave them to Liza. She gave them to him. I literally forgot about it because honestly, I give a lot of mittens away. <laughs> I like giving mittens away. It's a great gift. I mm -hmm. mean, people appreciate it. 
Especially in Vermont, I bet. Right. Absolutely. They're warm. Mm -hmm. They're nice looking. And if people don't particularly want or need them, then they could give them to somebody else. You know, most people don't mind a gift of mittens. Also here you can see it's really easy to stick a gift card inside. So a lot of times what we do with my daughter's teachers is we'll stick a little gift card to the local coffee shop so they can go wear their mittens, get some coffee. Love it. So, um, so that's how he got them. And then I forgot about giving them to him. And then uh, about a year ago, they appeared on the campaign trail because he did decide to run again to my complete shock. Um, and excitement. And, and excitement, yes. Yay. And he was wearing the mittens on the cam tra- campaign trail. And they, um, he loaned them to someone who was giving him a tour of something. And that, that was the first story that got picked up. Um, was that he had, and mittens are kind of a personal thing. So somebody who was cold is just a very sweet gesture. Yes, it is. Um, And then later he wore them to the women's march in New Hampshire. And that's where they really started to gain some traction because he, you know, he likes to gesture. So they were front and center. (laughs) Um, And yeah, he, so I, um, I heard that people were buzzing about it on Twitter. Mm. And at the time I really wasn't on Twitter. I had an old account. I had to reset my password to just get on. (laughs) And there was some misinformation about the mittens and um, people were saying they had been knitted by his grandmother. And I I just went on and corrected (laughs) these these things which were inaccurate. And I said, actually, I made the mittens for him. I don't actually know him. I've never met him. And they were not knitted. They were repurposed. But because of that, and, and that's actually the um, one of like, so I, I had a few tweets right around there. I actually had mittens for sale. I made a few sales online. Um, not, I'm not on Etsy or anything. I just emailed with people and mailed them mittens and then they mailed me a check, you know? And um, the old fashioned way. The old fashioned way. And, um, and then I sold out and that was pretty much it. Um, but and it was very sweet. Yeah. And, and our local newspaper ran a tiny article on it. And that was that was that. I had you, no idea. Did you watch the inauguration? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was remote teaching okay. that day, but my remote teaching ended around eleven. Oh, perfect. There was an enormous snowstorm here, but my family was planning to have basically an inauguration party. I mean, this was so big to us because Kamala Harris was going to be our first. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, very exciting. So we were, we were pumped. We bought cupcakes. We made fondue. It was literally a party at our house, but it wasn't really a party about the mittens. It was a party. Well, I was wondering, did you even, I mean, so then you're watching the inauguration and there comes Bernie with his manila envelope and his mask and his jacket and the mittens. And were you like, oh my God, the mittens. Yeah. So that piece where he entered with the envelope and the mittens, that all happened while I was still teaching. So I was teaching and people started texting me and being like, Bernie Sanders is wearing your mittens. And I was like, that's so sweet. You know, I, I had no idea that they would blow up in this way. Um, I was flattered. And then I also kind of thought, wow, it must be really cold there today because it was really cold here. So um, that was actually my thought process. And I was, I finished up teaching my students online. I I was teaching from school, even Mm. though it was a remote day, it's a lot easier for me to teach from school. And then I drove home um, and we, we started watching the inauguration. We typically don't watch TV. We had taken a TV out of the closet. Wow. Funny ears. (laughs) For the occasion. I mean, this is what we do for the Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? Like right, right. The TV out of the closet because we try really hard not to watch TV. So well, you're not missing anything I, as a TV watcher, I can tell you. Well, I would have missed the inauguration if we hadn't pulled it out. So it's true. It's good to have one the, in the closet. So we, yeah, I mean, and then of course, people were texting me left and right, texting my partner, just, you know, and we were watching then, you know, we were, we were watching and we saw the, the cameras pan in on Bernie um, and the memes started so fast. I mean, people are fast and so funny. Oh yes. my goodness. Oh yes. I love how funny people are. And I love it that this is something that is funny 
but it's it's not at anybody's expense. Yes. It's just funny for everyone. And Bernie right. thinks it's funny too. So I mean, I think Jen, what's so amazing about this is the way it, to your point, in a funny, humorous way, has brought so many people together. You know, just mm-hmm. unexpectedly grassroots, just something we can all relate to and wanting to stay warm. He looks like our dad. You know, he looks like the guy next door. He's practical. No, um, you know, no real pomp and circumstance. And he just wanted to stay warm. And he had this manila envelope because he was probably going to some other meeting. I mean, just the whole thing, just so cash. And, um, but for a simple gesture that you made, you know, has brought so many other people into awareness about gestures, but then also the humor, right? We're all laughing at all these memes that I could never make, but I can always appreciate. I wanted to ask you, I, um, can you tell us a little bit after that? I know that um, in the research I did, there was mention of the Vermont Food Bank and the Vermont Teddy Bear. Can you tell us a little bit about those two organizations and your ties to them? Absolutely. So <clears throat> the Vermont Food Bank um, is an organization that, you know, creates meals and, and has, you know, is, is addressing food insecurity in the state of Vermont, which is more prevalent than ever before due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the first partnerships that I made after this um, mitten frenzy was with a Vermont company called Darn Tough Socks. And they made oh, yeah. a mitten themed sock that was 100% for charity. And it and the proceeds of that went to the Vermont Food Bank. Um, and I can't remember how they converted the amount that they made into meals. And it was like 250,000 meals or something wow. like that. It was a wow. lot of meals. Don't quote me on that, but it was <laughs> something to that degree. I mean, it's okay. You can quote me on that. I think that's pretty close. I'm it was a lot it. of meals yeah. for the Vermont Food Bank. And, um, and then, uh, let's see, Bernie Sanders campaign also did a sweatshirt with a, with a Bernie the Bernie picture on it. Mm -hmm. And the proceeds of that made almost $2 million. And that went to Meals on Wheels, Vermont, which I was delighted about because my own grandmother who has passed, but when she was alive, she received Meals on Wheels. Mm -hmm. She lived in Guilford, Vermont on a dirt road all by herself. And three times a week, the Meals on Wheels folks would show up and give her healthy food and check yeah. in on her. And so yeah. it just delighted me to no end that that they did that. And that I had nothing to do with that. They just did that. Um. Well, I, you know, for me, I, I come back to the root of, I mean, I think it's that ripple in the water, right? You throw the stone in the puddle and, and the ripples. So this one generous thought a couple of years ago, you know, I just want to show appreciation for somebody. Um, And that little seed was festering and waiting for its moment in the sun. So even though you didn't do that, you're in, you really inspired people. That's really what you did, Jen. So take a little bit of credit for that part. I like to think about it in terms of dominoes, right? Like if somebody sets up an elaborate domino chain, I may have started the first domino, but there have been a lot of dominoes between me and that. <laughs> so I don't really take credit for that. I, I think it's wonderful that it happened, but somebody else made that happen. Um, and then, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people reached out to me looking for the mittens. And I'm a public school teacher. I don't have time to make mittens. I mean, right now I'm on school vacation, like February vacation. So I probably <laughs> could you. make some now, but, um, sure but at like the time go. my report cards were due on Friday. So you know, <laughs> what, happened, what Wednesday? People, and- I have bigger issues. <laughs> exactly. People don't seem to realize how stressful report cards can be because they are very, that you, there's a lot of writing. You have to have documentation to back, back up every mark that you make for a student yeah. and it's very labor intensive and it's very important because parents care a lot about them. Yes, we do. And so, so yeah, I was very busy when this happened and I couldn't really um, turn my focus directly to it, but <clears throat> I did want to do something with the mittens and there was clearly a desire to have them. And a lot of companies reached out to me saying, Hey, like I, I can make the mittens for you. And um, one of them was Vermont teddy bear um, okay. factory. 
and they have they're all set up you know they're set up for the shipping they're set up to take orders did you can um, i ask you did you go visit them or was it just a remote because i know with covid maybe you weren't able to actually go see in person well i've been there before I oh mean, i see okay i have a daughter so we've, we've toured the oh, factory i didn't oh okay okay and Vermont is a very small place. So over the years, I've known people who've worked there. I knew it was a good company and, okay. and it's a local company. Yeah. And, um, and it was a good fit. I knew right away it was a good fit. And so I started working with them not long after the inauguration to make a plan, you know, okay. to, um, to have them make the mittens. And I said, you know, the one thing I feel super strong, strongly about is I don't want the mittens to just be a big profit maker for anybody. Like, I think there needs to be a charitable component here because I am a fully employed person. I don't need a job, mm -hmm. uh, but there are people who are suffering, you know, just so many people who are suffering right now. And if we can use this energy to help other people, um, that's what I want. And, and now, okay. So Vermont teddy bear agreed to, always have a portion of the mitten profit go to charity. Um, and it won't always be the first charity. It won't always be the same charity, but the mm -hmm. first charity is um, make a wish. Oh, great. But, but that, you know, they, they um, have agreed to have it be, have it evolve, you know, like, so that's the first charity. And after a certain amount of time, we might um, share that wealth with, with a different charity. Although make a wish is an awesome organization. Um, so so where was I going? I was talking about I don't know. having things for Vermont charity. teddy bear and they were going to donate money and the charities. Yeah. Oh, anyway, because you wanted to make sure you know, people are suffering. So you wanted to make sure that nobody essentially got rich off of this thing, but put the energy towards helping other people. Yes. And so that, <clears throat> thank you, Mary Barbara, because that reminded me that like lately I've been noticing a lot of companies making Bernie themed products and and so many of them are for charity mm. or have a portion going to charity. And so what I hope has happened, even, even not, I mean, I didn't have a grand plan, right? Like who has a grand plan when they're instantly famous? But I, I hope that this image of Bernie has been branded as something that should benefit charity. Mm -hmm. um, and if somebody is selling a Bernie themed product for a hundred percent for their own um, financial gain. I hope they rethink that because, um, because there are a lot of organizations that need support right now. And I knew after this happened that I, I really couldn't sell my own mittens in the way that I used to, you know, for $30 at craft fairs, <laughs> because somebody would show up and just buy them all. And then, you know, resell or yeah, resell them. And so I started making them for charity too. And I, um, that first weekend I made three pairs of mittens. So can we um, um, digress for one minute absolutely. and tell us how do you make, how did you make the mittens? And you don't have to give any trade secrets away here, but, um, and let me sidestep by saying how I actually met Jen is there's a whole nother group that she and I both just recently joined. I mean, I literally joined just a day or two before she did. It's called Knit the World Together. And this group is founded by a woman named Shelly Brander, who you'll be excited to know, my faithful followers. I'm actually interviewing her in a few weeks. She wrote a book, uh, Move the Needle, Yarns from an Unlikely Entrepreneur. And my copy is supposed to arrive today. So I will have read it in preparation for my meeting with her. But anyway, we both happened to join this group. And so when I saw that Jen joined the group, the comments were very funny because I just assumed those mittens were knitted. And so this is what, can you, can you share with us in whatever legal way as possible, how those mittens were made? How did you make them? Yeah, so I don't knit. And I also found that group on Facebook because I was interested in Shelly's book. Um, and I and I saw that there was a Facebook group, so I thought I'd check it out. And and it, and everybody there, they're knitters. Um, and I I did learn how to knit once, but I forgot. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for knitters though, because what I do is I take sweaters that somebody else knit. Um and I cut them up. I cut them up and I... I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I'm really intentional about using sweaters that have been discarded. So um, 
um, a lot of times I'm cutting up a sweater that has a moth hole or a lot of moth holes, or they've been sent through the wash and mm. shrunk mm. To, uh, <laughs> to a degree that no one can wear them or no one would want to. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have uh, a tear, you know, maybe a dog has gotten a hold of them or a mouse. Oh, yes. yes. Um, and I, um, I cut them up and piece them back together in the shape of a hand. And so, um, and I make a mitten out of it. It's very warm. Um, and it prevents that sweater from sitting in a landfill. Yeah, right, right. And then the plastic, are you able to just tell us, is the plastic, does it line the mitten? Is that the, the part of the yeah, plastic? So let, me, let me talk to you a little bit about fleece. Okay. Um, fleece is actually a material that is made from recycled plastic. And I know this. I didn't know that. Years ago, I worked for the Chittenden Solid Waste District. Oh. And, I, and I was an educator for them and I gave tours of their materials recycling facility. And at the materials recycling facility, they were pulling out the, the plastic bottles that people use for like laundry detergent, mm-hmm, that kind mm-hmm. of thick plastic. Mm-hmm. And um, those you know, were compressed into bales and they were sold to companies to make polar fleece. That so is I, amazing, I had no idea. It's shredded and somehow put back together. Um, and it's soft. It is soft. And you know what's wonderful about it is it doesn't absorb water. So, so if you're a hiker or oh, an yes. outdoors person, a lot of people who are outdoorsy love this material because um, you know how they say cotton kills. It's because if cotton gets wet, it stays wet and it sucks the heat out of your body. You know, like it could, um, you could die of hypothermia. But if yeah, you're yeah. wearing fleece, or if you're wearing wool, um, the they don't absorb water in that way. They can still keep you warm if yes. they get wet. Yeah. So I line, and you know, wool is kind of scratchy. So yeah. I line the mittens with fleece, which is I not scratchy. See. I see. So when I said that the the fleece <gasps> is made out of recycled plastic, I didn't recycle the plastic. You know, somebody did. Yeah. Um, but that is how fleece is typically made. That is so cool because in my mind, I'm quite literal. And so in my mind, when I was hearing about recycled plastic, I'm like, what? Like, how do you, huh? What is that? Like bubbles or, you know, it's in between the layers. Like I was really just trying to imagine, but oh, it's fleece. I have learned so much. We've we've been recording for not even half an hour and I have learned an enormous amount already. So thank you, teacher Jen, because you are a natural. You know, I just want to say halfway through this, you are so well-spoken. And you, um, you are just such a great spokesperson. You're really amazing in your energy and your ability to say what's on your mind. I mean, in this moment, I'm feeling like I'm like, go, go, go. But really, I'm just, you're a great interview. So I can't tell you how much I've been enjoying this so much. Well, I think that's the teacher in me because I am in front of a class all day, every yeah. day. And if I'm not succinct and clear, I'm losing my audience yeah. and I love my audience. I love my students and I don't want to lose them. I want sure. to communicate what they need to know so that they can learn in a, in a way that is clear and concise. I bet they them. love you. I bet they love you. Well, I love how, old, them. how old are your students? I teach second grade, which is the best grade. Um, so everybody <laughs> else needs to back off. Uh, so... They're seven and eight. They typically turn eight in the school year. They're losing teeth, you know, they're, um, they're just fabulous. Second grade is like, they've moved out of the really young childhood stage, but they Mm -hmm. haven't gotten to like the approaching preteen stage. They're just in this sweet spot of creativity and joy and um, it is truly the best grade. That's, I had a friend that was a fifth grade teacher and she also felt that way. She's like these kids, but I mean, she felt like, um, you know, they were starting to use deodorant and they were starting to be aware of things in a different way. And she felt like it was such a special time to be a teacher because she could help them Um, through the awkward moments, you know, just each teacher has, and to your point, my daughter went to public school in Cleveland. I'm actually from Cleveland and she went to Cleveland public schools and um, I sung their praises constantly. She just had some of the most incredible teachers. 
And I actually have cousins that my one cousin's been a public school teacher for 30 years now. And um, I, and earlier you were talking about, uh, I didn't have time. Like I have to, you know, do the report cards. I was always fascinated by, um, in particular, this one teacher that Lauren had, uh, Mrs. Kearney, who unfortunately passed away at a young age, but she was Lauren's very, very favorite teacher. And they stayed in touch until Mrs. Kearney passed away. So even into her 20s and um, almost 30, you know, Lauren, every time she came back to Cleveland, she would first thing she did was go see Mrs. Kearney. But anyway, Mrs. Kearney would get to work at seven in the morning because she had some kind of school activity before school. Then she would teach all day. And then she had stuff she did after school. So this woman was at that school from seven in the morning till five or six every night. And I almost started crying at the thought of that. Like I, I couldn't possibly do that myself. I, and also um, I'm one of those adults that is kind of eternally um, immature in a way. I love five-year-olds because I myself am actually a big five-year-old. And so this is why I, I couldn't teach children because we wouldn't, I wouldn't have any discipline. You know, there would just be a lot of song singing and coloring and nonsense and the discipline would go right out the window. So uh, it may explain why my daughter had some disciplinary problems later in life, but that's, this is a different podcast. Um, I'd like to move on then. I mean, everything you're saying is so fascinating and I, I don't want to limit what we're talking about, but I do want to move on to a little bit about the book that you're writing. Uh, in a minute. But my other question for you, um, so in this art interview you did with NBC, you, uh, I'm quoting you now, we don't all have material things to give away, but we all have so many other gifts. And then you, you summarized it by saying, generosity brings joy. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about why that message is so crucial right now. I will. And I, you know, it's actually very connected to the book, which because I have just recently um, sort of changed my working title to Generosity Brings Joy. Excellent. Yes. Okay. And I, and I have a little, uh, I opened a little, well, I started a little business kind of, it's a project really called Generosity Brings Joy. So I have a website um, and it's generositybringsjoy.com. If Excellent. you want to check it out, you can see my uh, and so charitable you, projects. Sorry to interrupt you. Usually what I do is once I post the podcast, I put links up to the books that we talk about, to your website, all that stuff. So we'll put, I'll put a link up over on Bookshelf Shelfies in um, Facebook. All Perfect. right. So um, I, I think that that is the root of it, right? Like I gave Bernie Sanders a gift and it brought a lot of joy, not just to him. I mean, clearly he's enjoyed those mittens, but he wore them and people made memes about them and everybody had a moment to laugh in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, um, It's a bizarre, bizarre situation. But if I did something somehow years ago that brought everybody this joy, then I'm so glad that that's what I'm famous for, right? Like not something bad. Right, <laughs> um, but you don't, right. like getting back to that quote, you don't actually have to have material things to give away. Yeah. And I have learned that over and again in my life that, you know, you were so flattered that I was like, sure, I'll talk to you. You know, I'm, I'm giving you my time and you're giving me yours. Yeah. And that's something that we have right now. We have time. We're not promised anymore. I mean, yeah. we might as well use it right now, right? We have the ability to listen to people, to encourage people. Um, we have the ability to have a little bit of grace. You know, if somebody says something on the internet, not to jump down their throat, you know, to, to seek first to understand rather than to judge. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of things that we can give away. We could be so much more generous than we are. And I think it's unfortunate that generosity has somehow been branded over the years as something that rich people do, they give. Mm. You don't have to be rich to be a generous person. That's for you, sure. You could just decide to be a, be a more giving person, you know, to mm. stop and talk to someone who seems lonely or um, to forgive, you know, forgive others. I, there's so many ways to be generous. I think what I love about your message too, Jen, is I think one of the challenges people face, and um, and I, I am with you about that generosity of spirit. You know, the the key ingredient to joy is to be generous with spirit. People often feel if I 
I'm giving something away and I'm not getting anything back. How would you address that, that, that philosophy or that thought? Like, I only have so much and if I give it away, you know, I'm not getting anything back. I feel depleted. Now you and I, because I think we agree in this idea about generosity would, you know, we don't believe that is true, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I think that you have to choose what you can give, you know, um, and if you're giving so much that you feel depleted, maybe you're giving the wrong things. Oh. Um, I've given away so many mittens over the years, so many to teachers, to my colleagues, to my friends, to my family, like, and one pair of mittens that I gave away turned out to, to be famous. <laughs> but a lot of times I give people things and I forget about it. And then they mention it. Actually, a lot of people have reached out to me and said, do you remember when you mailed me mittens? I loved that. And this oh. is how I've used them. And I was like, actually forgotten that I mailed you mittens. That's, you know, um, I think there's something to what you're saying there. I gave it away and then I forgot about it because it's the intention behind the giving that you're really, really hitting on here. The intention of giving is not to get back. The intention of giving is to share what we have. And if, and to your really astute point earlier, when we give away and we feel depleted, then we're giving maybe too much of the wrong thing away, but also giving with that expectation that now you give me something back. And the idea behind generosity of spirit is really that you're giving and it just creates that opportunity to make room for more you know, and um, I think the other piece of that is, yes, the one pair of mittens happened to be famous, but the, the real overall impact, I think the thing about Bernie is he just comes across as every man, you know, he isn't, you know, he is stellar in so many ways, but he just, when he went to that inauguration, he was really representing the every common day person showing up at a special event. And that's what you're, you know, that's to me what your mittens are about. You're giving them away to everyday people, which is far, you know, it wasn't about making them famous. It's about doing this kind thing for people that you love or know yeah, I think, or want to take care of. I think it's important too not to keep score, right? That's just going to make you, drive you crazy. If you're giving away things, hoping to get something yes. back. Yes. But if you can see the actual joy in the giving, Mm -hmm. and the score is even when it's given. You know what right? I'd like to, yes, I agree. And I also want to think um, or say that sometimes the challenge for people is accepting those gifts. You know, when people are giving us things, people often will say like, oh, no, no, thank you. Or I don't need that. Or no, no, you know what, they'll push it away. And there is something to be said for accepting of the gifts that we receive and being appreciative of those gifts looking at the intention behind it. You know, some of you are like, oh no, I don't need mittens. Thank you. And, and that's not the point. The mitten is the vehicle. You know, it's the intention behind the vehicle, the gas, if you will, is this opportunity to give. So for anybody out there that is a giver, thank you very much. But we also need to be gracious receivers, I think. Yeah. And I think sometimes people, um, people might not want to receive a gift because they then think they owe somebody something. Yes. yes. And, you know, even, even in our thank you note culture is mm -hmm. it's tricky because sometimes I'll give a gift to someone, particularly if I have a friend who has a child who's graduating from high school or college and I, and I might send them some money. I'll be like, part of my gift to you is that you don't need to write me a thank you note. In fact, <laughs> don't take this money and do what you want with it. And don't That's feel funny. this this anchor of, oh, now I have to write her a thank you note. And, oh, a week has gone by and I've forgotten to write that thank you note. And thank you notes are so great, but they're, you know, I think that they sometimes make people feel, just have some weird feelings about accepting gifts because then they owe something back. Yeah. I don't want my daughter to listen to this podcast now because I am a big proponent of thank you notes, but also I come back to the world I grew up in you know, where we only had thank you notes or a phone call, you know, you couldn't do a shout out on social media, you know, the likelihood when I was growing up, um, I went to camp and I had pen pals and they lived far, far, far away until I grew up and realized that where they lived was probably five miles from me. But as a kid, there was no way to have access to them. You know, my parents weren't going to drive to 
and you don't know Parma, Ohio, but my friends, my parents weren't going to drive to Parma, Ohio, you know, which in reality was, well, maybe 15 or 20 minutes away. But so all we had, I mean, in my mind, all we had was writing letters. And so that thank you note was just a way to let people know I received it. Thank you very much. Da da da. So I've always been on my daughter. She hates to write thank you notes, by the way. So I think the center gift so she doesn't have to thank you. Okay. I remember being in, you know, a child in the eighties and it was expensive to make a phone call. You had long distance. That's right. That's right. But it cost 25 cents to mail a card and say, thank you. And so, yes, in that time, thank you notes were definitely in the last century. (laughs) But now, I mean, honestly, if I give someone a gift and they send me a text and they're like, I love this. Thank you. That's great. And, and then I don't expect a thank you note. That's, I agree. Um, I mean, just acknowledging. Yeah, just acknowledgement is fine. And, um, and if people don't acknowledge a gift that I've given, I don't sit here and and like, look at my list. They haven't acknowledged it. I just don't keep score because that, that takes all of the joy out of the giving. Yeah. And so if you want to be a person who's generous, stop keeping score because the joy, it, it diminishes the joy. There's no point. Yeah. I really, I do totally agree with that. And I think the only time I'm curious is when I send something like if I order online and I have it sent directly to the person, I only want to know that they got it. I'm not expecting thank yous. I'm not expecting anything other than it arrives safely. And there's only, you know, unless I'm like, hey, did you get that thing? Um, That's the only time. But I do agree with you that keeping score is very dangerous and really harsh on your own soul, you know, because you're having you know, you're just setting up expectations. And the best way for me personally is to not have expectations, just do the thing, you know, whatever that thing is. I want to ask you, um, we we are going to get to a little bit more in your book. And then I know you have a book to share with us. But I'd like to know, um, how has this becoming instantly famous, as it were, how has it challenged you? And what are you learning about yourself? Um, Well, at first, it was very, very stressful. Um, Everybody wanted to talk to me all at once. And I am a people pleaser. I I like to talk to people. I love people. Um, And it was hard to not be able to respond to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just the thousands of people who were emailing me looking for my mittens, but the the people who wanted to interview me and um, the people who were interested in my story and all of that stuff. It was challenging. And I, and um it was so stressful that I actually lost a lot of sleep over it. Oh. And, and it was my stress response is also not to eat. So, Oh, I wish I, that I would like to, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> I had, I had like a week or two where I just like couldn't even eat Same. a complete meal. Yeah. It um, was, was it stressful for your family to watch you get stressed? Yeah, it was. Hmm. I know my partner had to do a lot more of the parenting and my daughter was, you know, I remember there was a, a day when I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do anything with media. I'm going to sit down with my daughter. We're going to do those little perler beads, little plastic perler mm-hmm. beads. And we were like doing the perler beads. And, and then all of a sudden she was like, it's just so stressful. Oh. And I, and she started to cry and I was like, I oh, know it is really stressful. And, and I thought that she was talking about, um, you know, the situation of like everybody wanting to talk to me all at once and the phone kept ringing and I was hugging her. I'm like, I'm sorry. It is a very stressful situation. She's like, I just can't get the bead. In <laughs> and I was like, oh, perspective. <laughs> He's talking about how stressful perler beads are. That's and right. I'm talking about how stressful instant fame is. <laughs> so um, there was a little moment of perspective there, but so um I, I, uh, I also experienced a lot of stress in the form of so many people were like, this is your moment. You need to turn this into money. You need mm-hmm. to open up a cottage industry. You could sell your mittens for a thousand dollars a piece. And those comments, even though many of them were well-meaning and, mm-hmm. and people who mm-hmm. thought they were looking out for my best interest, those were very stressful to hear because I, I, they made me constantly feel like I was doing the wrong thing. Yes, I could see by, how by just, I mean, I am committed to my job. Like I can't just ditch my students. I, I'm a part of a team, a staff team. I can't just ditch my colleagues. I, I have a commitment and I have to honor that. And, and Girl, you have else- so much integrity. I'm so, I just love it. And um, 
I don't know your family, but I want to thank your parents because they did a great job. I'm sure all five of you are, or six of you are phenomenal individuals, but your level of integrity is outstanding because there are people that would definitely, not me, but there are definitely people out there that would just be like, oh, gotta go. I'm famous now. See you later. And your integrity is inspirational, my friend. But what would that life look like? I mean, so I did. I did play out the scenario. So I have a great job. I love my students. I love my school. I'm good at my job. I have a master's in education. I've been doing this for the better part of 20 years. So, uh, you know, my retirement is set. I, I've got all of my ducks in a line. Mm-hmm. So let's consider the alternative. I quit my job that I care about. I, what, open a mitten factory? Open a, a like... <laughs> What does that look like? I'm not a business person. I I don't have any idea how to run a business. So then I start hiring people to sew for me. Look, I played this all the way out in my head of what this would look like. And it didn't look good. Yeah, it sounds pretty awful right now, actually. That was a very... I don't know. Yeah. That would have been a very um, short-sighted decision. Yeah. But what ended up happening in, in, in collaborating with the Vermont teddy bear factory is now the mittens will be made and they'll be made by people whose job it is to sew who are much better seamstresses than I've ever been. I mean, I'm actually not that great at sewing. I I know how to make exactly two things, mittens and quilts. (laughs) That's it. I couldn't sew a dress. I'm, I'm really not that skilled. Um, but they are, yeah, and they yeah. have a design team that is brilliant. They have people whose job it is to run the business and they're brilliant too. Right. So I feel like collaborating with them, making sure that there's a charitable component, um, that was my best option. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people who haven't really been following this story very closely are still saying, you need to turn this into money. And I'm like, hey, you really missed my point, haven't yeah, you? Right. <laughs> exactly. Money isn't everything. Um, let's see. I also, um, so when you were talking about um, how it's challenged you, the stress, and then learning to manage this kind of stress that very few people will ever have to manage because instant fame only happens, it's like lightning, right? Um, what surprises you about how the, you've managed your stress? I mean, what has... What have you learned to do more of or do less of? What did you start doing, stop doing? Yeah, and you had you had also asked me, um, what have I learned? Oh, yeah. I, I would not necessarily say that I have um, perfected the art of managing stress. I, I still am not like sleeping enough or eating enough probably, but um, I, so so I have a lot of work to do there. And I think that that is probably one of the things that I've learned is just to admit my limitations, mm-hmm. you know, like when I, when I have gone into these situations, I've, I've started out by saying, I actually don't know what I'm doing and I need to trust you as a human to work with me and, and walk me through things. I've learned to ask more questions. I mean, it's when you are really good at your job. And I think that I'm a pretty good teacher. You kind of get into a rhythm where you kind of, you kind of know what's going on That's and right. other people are asking you questions, right? You're the, so, you're the expert. So to be in this position of not knowing how to do things um, has been humbling and and has reminded me of kind of like what my students feel, you know, you don't have to know how to do all the things. That's right. You can go into the world and say, I'd like to get better at this. And and I see that you know how to do this. And can you help me? And, And it becomes more of a matter of choosing the best mentors rather than um, pretending that you already know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like one thing I've really learned is that we, we are all winging it. Yes. <laughs> there, I said it. All those people who look like they have their act together, they don't. They're winging it too. Yeah. Like we're all just winging it. We're all just waking up and doing the best we can. And if, if you are a person who can recognize that the other people are also doing the best they can, even if their best isn't what you want it to be, you're going to be happier because nobody wakes up on a given day and says, today, I'm going to be um, only 75% on purpose. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're doing the best we can. In pandemic times. Yeah. So (laughs) we might all be wearing pajama bottoms. You don't really know. I think that's the thing I've, I've really 
it's not that I learned that for the first time. It's that I've um, remembered it, that, yeah. that you don't have to know how to do everything. And it's okay to, to present as you are and say, I'm, I'm open to learning. And if, if other people aren't open to you being in that place, then you should spend your time with someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it just really comes back again to your message of generosity, that not knowing everything makes space for other people to play along with you and provide the expertise that they know, you know, how we work together better to come up with solutions to find ways to do things so that instead of being the resident expert on absolutely positively everything, getting to that place where you can be authentic and say like, oh, I actually don't know what I'm doing here and let other people step up. That's another form of generosity, letting them share. Pardon my large beast in the background jumping down there, my boxer. Um, you know, that's the place where generosity can also come into play is, you know, having that security, knowing who you are, accepting that we don't know everything and we don't have to, and we're not expected to know everything. And then letting other people shine alongside you. I mean, that's really another key component, I think, of generosity. Um, was there anything else in your life that prepared you for this moment? Have you had any, if you could look back now and you think about the skills you're calling upon to deal with fame, um, is there anything that's prepared you for this moment? That is such an insightful question. And I'm going to talk about this a lot in my book because over the past few years, I have really worked hard on myself, you know, Good. and I feel like I'm always a person who's working on herself. Mm -hmm. I think of myself as a work in progress, but I attended a creativity retreat um, two summers ago on the coast of Maine. And it was very much a wake up call for me. I had been so busy being a mom and focusing a hundred percent on my daughter and my partner, you know, just, I was married and, and we have a house and it's just, I was so caught up in just the act of living my life mm -hmm. that I didn't, I hadn't been taking a lot of time to reflect on the life I was living. Oh, and this retreat was, it was about a week long retreat and it was in a beautiful place and it was with the most soulful people and, um, and it gave me a window into myself and also gave me a new path of like who I want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to be a person who's genuine. I want to be a person who's creative. Um, and I want to be the kind of person who like when the muse arrives, right? Like when creativity is speaking to me, I want to be the kind of person who will carve out some time to listen to the muse and do something about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I started writing songs again and you can see my guitar in the oh, background. Oh no, I didn't. Oh, that's awesome. So I write songs and um, it had been mm, a long time, 10 or 12 years since I'd written a song. Wow. Um, so we, as a family, just started making music. Again, my partner plays the violin and my daughter does too. And wow. started, we started making more music at home. I started a song and poetry writers group here in my town. And I went to another creativity retreat and met some more amazing people. And I feel like those are my people. You know, sometimes in life, you just connect with people on such a deep level. You're like, oh, th these yeah. are my people. Yeah, right. And I haven't yeah. felt that in a long time. I mean, I have wonderful friends and they are my people. But to go into a group of people and think, wow, this is a group of people who are my people. Right, right. It was so profound for me. And those friendships really expanded my horizons. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those people have been very supportive to me in all of this. Yeah. So I would say that that was huge. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that very much prepared me for this, right? Like I was already in a place of being, of, of pursuing my best self and being authentic. And, and, you know, I didn't feel like I necessarily needed to put on airs when everybody wanted to interview me because, um, because if people don't like who I am, you know, when I show up at eight in the morning, then <laughs> that's on them. That's right. That's I'm right. not going to change. I am who I am. And, and I, and I can try and be better. Um, but I'm not going to change so that the world likes me. Yeah, I think that's really an important message. And because I think coming back to this idea, people see fame as something 
you know, maybe on their to-do list, you know, especially with social media these days and Twitter and whatever all the things are. And I think that there's just, I mean, I watch some family members, um, young family members, you know, posting on Instagram or whatever, you know, they're nine years old and they're like, you know, doing this thing with the phone. And I'm like, put that phone down and read a book, you know, put that phone down and get outside would you? You know, like my mom used to tell us when we were kids, get outside and don't come home till dinner. You know, who? I mean, it's probably not as easy to do anymore, but um, fame is short and fleeting. Yeah. You know? when, when people are doing that. I'm for the fortune. I just want to, I just want to say I'm after the fortune. I don't care for the fortune. Yeah, me yeah too. just that. What just people are really looking for is validation. I mean, oh, that's really a good point. That behavior is validation. And yeah. So when I see people in my life doing that, you know, like if we go out to a restaurant and, and whoever it is that I'm with is like on their phone or texting or whatever, what I try to do is validate them in some other ways so that they're, they're not feeling the need for some other validation. Yeah. And I, I think that we're hungry for validation and that's the internet gives us a lot of um, quick validation Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. quick feedback. Yes. Um, sometimes validation though is a little bit more um you have to be a little patient for it and the 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 good validation isn't necessarily going to come from that quick pick on the internet um, well and it's also i mean you have to learn to validate yourself and just be you know figure out who you are and make sure you know my daughter once asked i said i thought she was doing a good job this was many many years ago she was she had moved out and was living on her own for the first time and she had gotten an, um, an apartment and, you know, she had a job, she was paying rent, she had a little car, she could pay her car insurance. And I said, oh, Lauren, you know, I just think you're doing such a great job. And she said, how do I know I'm doing a great job? And I said, well, what are your values? And are you living up to them? You know, if you don't value a clean home and your home is messy, it won't matter. But if you value a clean home and it's clean, then you're doing a good job. You know, if you value having a home as opposed to living in your car and you have one, that's good. If you don't value having a home and you live in your car and that's okay with you, then that's good too. You know, whatever, you know, figuring out what your values are and then living your life accordingly to me, you know, that's, that's how we validate ourselves. And to your point, when people give us that message that you're not doing enough or you should be doing more, it's really, you have to have a strong core to I mean, sometimes I take things on board, you know, when I get comments from people, I check, is that really true? You know, what are, what are they saying? And many times they're just projecting, right? Or they just think that, that you are so great, you could do this, you know, but I have to sometimes counter it with, look, I'm already happy with what I'm doing, you know, and it's enough. Yeah. And when you're giving validation, I think a lot of times the validation that we see on social media is shallow, right? Yeah. It's a like, it's a heart. It's a, that's beautiful, or you did amazing, but the validation that we need is more specific. Mm -hmm. It's, it's Mary Mary Barbara, you asked me a really thoughtful question and I appreciate you um, for being an interviewer who thinks below the surface. Like that's the kind of validation that people want. My head just went. Right. It's not like, oh, you're great. That's so vague (laughs) and it's shallow. Whereas with your daughter, what you were probably trying to say is, you have met many of the markers of living a successful life that take other people years and years to accomplish. And mm-hmm. here you are so young with a car and a job and right. a home right. and you're kind of nailing life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. You know, so I think that we, I do that with my students too. I try to think, you know, what is the, what is something that I can say that is, is, is not shallow. So like, yes. it's a great job. I could say, I really like how you made a point in your writing Mm -hmm. and then you gave me three interesting um, descriptions or Mm -hmm. facts to back Mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. And here they are, one, two, three. And that is what's pushing you towards third grade. Yeah. And then you see, they're just like, let me write 20 more descriptive things, you know, because that's what you want them to do. But if I had just said, good job, yeah. that's too big. I'm going to try that with my husband. Instead of saying, great job, honey, I'm going to say the way you scrub those dishes is magnificent. I'm going to, and I'm going to report back to you and let you know if uh, that continues and, and, and increases. Um, we are almost at our hour mark and I want to be respectful mm-hmm. of your time, especially because you're on holiday this week. So I don't want to uh, get into your family time. 
tell, I know that you brought a book. I'd like uh, for you to share the book that you brought with us. And if possible, can you read a passage from that Ooh, book? Sure. Okay. So the book that I bought, I brought is called The Quilt Maker's Gift. Oh, it is I love it. Just the front picture. I mean, I just love the cover, the colors and everything. Okay. The quilt. And it's by Jeff Brumbaugh. And, um, and Gail DeMarkin, I think she might have been the illustrator. Anyway, I love this book because it is a, about a magical quilt maker who lives up in the beautiful mountains and she makes um, quilts and they are um, as gifts. She makes quilts for gifts. And there's a greedy king who wants a quilt and she won't give him one because um, she doesn't give her quilts to rich people. She gives them to people who are poor or in need. And so they go on this journey together of like, he's trying to make her give him a quilt and she's trying to teach him a lesson. <laughs> and, he, and she says, okay, listen, if you give away everything that you own, um, make gifts of everything that you own, then every time you give a gift, I will sew one patch onto this quilt. And in the end, you will have, um, you will have a quilt. Excellent. And so what he learns is the joy of giving. And um, so um, let me see. Well, I'll just read to you the end. So sure. spoiler alert. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, if you don't want to know how it ends, people stop here. Okay, so this is the last page. Thank you, replied the king. I'll take it. This is about the quilt. But only if you will accept a gift from me. There is one last treasure I have left to give away. All these years, I've saved it just for you. And from his rickety rundown wagon, the king brought out his throne. And so it goes on. I mean, I don't want to. No, no, um, I get it. That's all good. Of it yeah, away, that's but, right. That's um, right. The end that says, by day, the quilt maker sewed the beautiful quilts she would not sell. And at night, the king took them down to the town. There he searched out the poor and downhearted, and he was never happier than when he was giving something away. That Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful end to this interview. I mean, it just really highlights everything we've talked about. Now, I, before we go, I do want to ask you um, a little bit about your book. If there's anything else you'd like to tell us about the book that you're writing. Well, my book, I mean, the theme is Generosity Brings Joy, and it's a memoir. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very much rooted in this period of time where I was like um, cast into the, the, the international spotlight for giving a gift to mm -hmm. someone um, that created a lot of joy. Um, but it also goes back to um, some other times in my life. You know, I started teaching um, in the year 2000. Oh and my then th my second year of teaching was when September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. So it talks about my career in terms of the last 20 years. Um, it's been a very, um, it's been a very amazing time to be a teacher, mm -hmm. you know, in a time when, when, I mean, I'm sure every time is kind of amazing if you think about it in terms of like big events, but mm -hmm. um, it, and so it follows my life and in those years, um, and there's a component of generosity brings joy through the whole thing. It, it, it describes the whole um, inauguration and everything that happened after with the charities and my partnerships. But then it also talks about, um, you know, why, why I made these decisions mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and events in my life that have informed my decision-making. And um, I hope that it's also just interesting to people because, you know, I know there are a lot of teachers who are interested in reading about the lives of other teachers. Mm -hmm, so it, mm -hmm. I think it would be very interesting to teachers in particular um, and very interesting to think about um, what has it been like teaching in a pandemic? Yes, this yes. Um, so there's a lot of that in it too. Um, I think your book so is going to be a hit and I'll tell you why. Because just in talking to you, and as I've said a couple times now, what stands out to me is, number one, your authenticity, your integrity. Um, you're charming and funny, and you're so real. And that's what people connect to. An everyday person, you know, the, the tagline for my podcast is everyday people talking about their extraordinary lives. And you are, you know, again, a perfect example of that. I have, you know, and I've I just, um, your voice and the way that you express yourself is so thoughtful and really, um, I don't know, 
I guess I've used the word authentic so many times with you, but you're just so genuine. And I really just appreciate that so much about you, you know, that we're two total strangers sharing a moment, as you said earlier, and your ability to be just completely yourself and genuine, genuine with me has really, I mean, I don't, the rest of the day, I'm going to kind of walk around in awe. I think I'll just be like, that's an amazing person. Like, you're just so, you are inspiring my friend. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I would say that even if this wasn't recording, I would be saying all the exact same things about you. Um, can I ask a personal question about your family? Are your mom and dad still around? Yeah, my parents um, are divorced. So my mom lives in Maine and my dad lives in New Hampshire with my stepmother, who I'm also very close to. Okay. And um, when I say that there are six kids in my family, we're a blended family. So mm -hmm. I have two stepsisters and two half brothers and one whole brother. <laughs> okay. Um, that's and good for fractions. If you ever have to go teach yes. fractions, you've got, you got something there. <laughs> so we're spread out all over the country. And I actually have a brother who's in the Navy, who's living in Germany right now. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. The reason I was asking is just um, as a parent myself, you know, watching my adult child navigate life, you know, um, when you go to see your parents, do you still have to take out the garbage? <laughs> what if they wanted me to? Do you still have to clean the cat box? No, I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, no, they don't like cats. Well, actually, my dad has a cat, but I don't have anything. I don't actually like cats. That's okay. I'm teasing. It's the one job my daughter refuses to do, no matter where she is. Um, and I'm just always sort of teasing her behind the scenes. Um, no, I, I just am laughing because I think as a parent, we see these amazing things our kids do. And then we're still like, you still have to load the dishwasher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you're still our kid, no matter what. Anyway, uh, is there anything... I didn't ask you or that you wanted to say that we didn't talk about. Jen, is there anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? Well, I want to say that I feel like you've put me on a bit of a pedestal and like, I, I feel like you're an amazing person too. And what's amazing about you is that you, you. are taking the time to listen to other people's stories because it, I'm not the only person who's living an extraordinary life. There are, I would say that everybody is living an extraordinary exactly. life. It, That's it's exactly just a matter right. of, have you given them a platform to hear what is extraordinary mm -hmm, about their mm -hmm. life? And, and you've given me a platform, which I'm very thankful for. And now I feel like I need to do a podcast on you so I can hear everything about <laughs> your extraordinary oh, life. Well, I do love to talk about myself. So anytime. Um, no, I would say that's exa you're exactly right. I know so many everyday people, but the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we just don't make us famous but really are inspirational. A friend of mine, and I know that you're busy, so there's no pressure here, but if you do get a chance to go back and listen to any of the other podcasts I've done, um, one a friend of mine, uh, start, she was young in her 20s, started off as a private detective at, here in West Virginia and um, was so uh, not inspired, but so frustrated with the lack of resources for people dealing with the opioid crisis, which is huge here, that her life's work now is being a resource for people. Uh, and she actually went to work for the public defender. She would go to drug court and help people instead of go to jail, find um, you know, places for rehab. And that's what she actually does now. So starting off as a private detective, came face to face with the opioid crisis and decided to do something about it. And you would never hurt her. Her name's Dominique Carl. just gonna tell you, she's an amazing inspirational person, right? So there's, um, Lots of my friends. That's why I started doing this because I just feel like everybody I know has an amazing story behind them. And it's, and that's what inspires me is just the everydayness of these people, but they're so extraordinary. So anyway, a little plug for the rest of my podcast there. How Jen, amazing it is that you are highlighting that, you know, like you're amazing too. So that's thanks. just great. Well, it is, you know, um, I don't know what you thought of when you were a little girl about what you wanted to be when you were growing up, but I wanted to be a Broadway star. And, um, I, I wanted to be a ballerina. And okay. so now that you see my figure, I'm sure you can see why that didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see your figure, but uh, you know, yeah. you might be very petite for all I know. Oh no, but, uh, no you I'm know. not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yes, this idea of being a Broadway star kind of translated into, well, maybe I could just be a talk show host or a game show host. I would equally enjoy that. And just a little back, um, we didn't really talk about my background. I also have a master's degree, but mine is in adult learning and development. And I'm actually, a prof I do professional development by day. So right now I also do remote teaching, but I teach people in manufacturing plants or any kind of 
smaller medium business leadership skills. So that is actually what I do, but I love it because I often feel like I'm hosting a game show. And in fact, I work with a woman named Ann Frost and we have the Frost Advisory and we actually co-teach many um, of these professionals. Yeah, her name's Ann Frost and we call it the Frost Advisory. Um, and she's equally um, part game show host. So more often than not, the hilarity is between Ann and I, we don't even need an audience. You know, we often do Zoom meetings now and uh, we an hour will go by with just us bantering. We're like, we should be live. We should be doing this for money, man. Anyway, so, so funny. It is fun. We're just, we just enjoy it. Yeah, we're just our own little co co-hosts. So you can also look that up on Facebook, the Frost Advisory. Anyway, this isn't really about me. It's about you today. And I cannot thank you enough for your your generosity of time and spirit. Also, just because I talked to you yesterday and you're like, yeah, tomorrow's great. And uh, um, especially when I know that you've got so many other things pressing on you for this. I am so thankful to you, Jen. Um, I'll say goodbye to you off the air, but for my listeners, um, Jen is coming quick on the heels of my interview with Uh, Kate Wiseman, my friend in Hong Kong. So I know you've enjoyed that. And I believe our next guest is a man named Jesse Wiest. Jesse Wiest is a historian and has this amazing podcast, The History of the Atlantic, or The History of the Atlantic World, I should say. So check that out. And I appreciate all of you. Have a great day. Thanks, Jen.